everybody. It's great to be here. I want to welcome you to Veritas. As I look out into such a big crowd, uh, I know I'm seeing a lot of new faces here. So if this is your first time to Veritas, we want to welcome you. It's really good to have you. Uh, and also as I look out, I see some faces that maybe I haven't seen in a while. Um, and so it's good to have you back. It's good to have you back in this room with us uh, this evening. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Patrick Miller. I'm one of the co-directors of Veritas, and I want to start tonight by telling you about what happened to me two weeks ago. Uh, two weeks ago, my car, a Ford Taurus station wagon, I call it the Swagger Wagon. I drive in style, as you can see. Uh, it was a gift from my father, so thanks, Dad. Um, I, I hit a deer, and my car was in the shop getting fixed. We were paying for it to get fixed. And so it's two weeks ago. It's Wednesday morning. I wake up and I do the first thing I usually do. I pick up my phone to check it. And I'm pressing the power button on my iPhone and it won't come on. I'm like, what the heck? I keep going. I can't get it to work. And I realize I still don't know what happened. My iPhone has just mysteriously broken. Nothing happened. Just woke up one morning and it wasn't working. And I'm thinking in my head, it's going to probably be a few hundred dollars to get fixed. I have to buy another one maybe. This is a bummer. So anyways, it's later in the morning. My wife and I, we are driving in her car to work. Um, She had actually been rear-ended the week before that. You know, fun things all happen at once. And that particular morning, we get a text from the person who rear-ended her saying, the accident never happened. You guys made it up. This thing's totally fabricated. We're like, what? What in the world? I mean, it, it blew our mind. We didn't know what was going on. And all of a sudden, we realize it's now in the power of the insurance provider to decide whether or not they're going to pay to get my wife's car fixed. And I'm like, oh, I've got a broken iPhone, paying for my car, and now we're going to have to pay for her car? Come on. So I spend most of the morning, I'm talking to Apple Care, I'm talking to insurance providers, and I tell Emily, my wife, I say, look, here's our silver lining. We've been saving up for a TV for a long time, and it comes in today. I'm going to take it home, I'm going to get set up, we'll watch a show, it'll be a lot of fun. So I get it home, spend an hour, you know, gingerly pulling it out, setting up the stand, getting it up onto the counter. I remove the right uh, sides, uh, the foam that was on there, kind of wipe it off. And I go to remove the last piece of foam on the left side. And as I pull it off, I see this. My, my screen is shattered right under the foam. Like, but I, I couldn't see it the whole time because it was under there. And I spent my whole night getting ready for it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. A falsified accident report, a broken iPhone, a broken TV, which, by the way, the box isn't messed up, so apparently it's my fault. Who knows if they're going to let me return it? I'm tabulating all these numbers in my head on one day, and I'm thinking, this is a crappy day. This is a bad day, right? And in that moment, I felt totally powerless. I didn't realize it at the time, but I had a subconscious question before me. When I felt powerless, where was I going to look for my sense of comfort? Where was I going to look to say, okay, this all sucks, but it's okay. Everything's going to be fine. Where was I going to find the power, the strength to to get over that bad day? Tonight, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23. And in verses 19 to 20 of that passage, Paul, he prays that we would look to one power, In such circumstances, he says we should look to God's incomparably great power for us who believe that power, which is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So who should have the power in that moment to calm me, 
help me feel like everything's okay. It's going to be all right. You're going to be whole. Well, it's Jesus. Paul says Jesus is the one who can do that. And what I wish I could tell you is that on that Wednesday night, I looked to Jesus for my strength. I wish I had started praying and I had spoken to myself and said, you know what? Jesus is the one in charge. These, these are just annoyances. You're going to be fine. But instead of seeing Jesus' power, I decided that I wanted to see my seminary grades. Now, I know it sounds a little bit weird. It's not that I didn't know what grades I got in classes last semester. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was supposed to come a little bit later. No, I'm, not, I'm not like humble bragging right now, but um, <laughs> I'm really not. Because here's the reality. It's not that I didn't know what my grades were at that point. Um, I just, I, I had this need I thought if I could just see my grades, then there would be something that would tell me no matter what happened today, you can't change the fact that those are my grades, that they can validate that I'm smart, that I'm worthwhile, that they could give me the comfort to feel like a really bad day isn't that bad because you know what? I got good grades last semester. I needed that, the A, to feel like everything is not there anymore. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> I needed that to feel like everything was okay. Hey, we're back. Hey, there you go. Now, when I say this out loud, you guys either think I'm making it up, but the reality is, I know it's really silly. I know it's really stupid, but in that moment, I didn't know it. It's genuinely what I needed to see to feel better. It wasn't really until the next day that I was enlightened to see just how silly grades really are. Yeah, I mean, we know it. Like, grades change. They're in constant, and you forget about them. You don't remember what your grades were two semesters ago. And yet, in that moment, that small thing, that's what I looked to for power, for strength, to satisfy me, to feel like everything was going to be all right. See, I'm willing to admit I have a problem in my heart. Because in my heart, I minimize the power of King Jesus to satisfy me. And I magnify the power of fleeting, futile, empty things in this world like grades to satisfy me. What about you? Do you know what the grades are in your life? Do you know where you look to escape from a bad day? Where you go after a rough week with family on break? Where you go when you feel empty and alone? Do you know what or who has the strength to make you feel whole, like everything's going to be okay? What has the power to satisfy your heart most deeply? If I had to guess, there's probably some of you who are here tonight precisely because you've lost the thing in your life that had the power to make you feel like everything was okay. Maybe it was a girlfriend. Maybe it was a boyfriend, but they're gone now. Or maybe it was a sense of having a successful future, but as you look around you, everybody else is getting the jobs, everybody else is getting the internships, and you're finding nothing. Maybe it was pleasure, but you're starting to see how it really just leaves you feeling empty. It's not what you thought it was. What has the power in your life? What do you fear losing the most? Or maybe you're here tonight because you're searching for that thing. Maybe the thing you're looking for tonight is reputation or a place to belong or status or fitting in. I don't know what it is. But what's the thing that you daydream about? What's the thing that you want so badly and you think if I had it, everything would be okay? It would have the power to satisfy me. Is it the perfect body? Is it the perfect sense of humor? Or maybe you're someone who's here tonight, you know what, my life's great. And the reason why it's great is because I have the thing. 
that has the power to really make my life good. Maybe it's making your parents proud. Maybe it's being needed by someone. Maybe it's being the best dressed, the coolest person in the room. Maybe it's securing your financial future. What in your life do you most desperately protect? Because deep down you know that if you lost it, you'd feel lost. What has the power in your life to fill you, to satisfy you, to make your life good? Different question. Have you had one of those moments of clarity, of enlightenment? Kind of like what I had the day after with my grades, realizing, whoa, that is stupid. What am I thinking? Have you had that moment when you see how inconstant and undependable these so-called strengths really are? I'm a big Jim Carrey fan. Grew up watching his movies, The Mask, Ace Ventura, all those things, right? Um, And he's not a Christian. But what I like about him today is that he's one of the most honest skeptics out there. If you're a skeptic, if you're a doubter, we're glad you're here. This is a place for skeptics and for doubters. And I, and I love Jim Carrey because he's a skeptic and a doubter about the things that we think have the power to satisfy us. So let's watch this speech from him uh, from the 2016 Golden Globes. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. <laughs> you know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this this terrible search. For what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. But these are important, these awards. I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up our solar system alone, you wouldn't be able to find us or any of human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge. One more time, here are the nominees for Best Motion Picture Comedy. All right. I love that clip. Every time I watch it, I laugh. And I'm laughing Because I can tell deep down there's a real truth to it. You see, Jim Carrey is not a Christian, but he's a true skeptic. He's a true doubter. And he's totally, absolutely, 100% spot on right. That we should have some serious doubts about the things that we think in this world can satisfy us. Because the reality is they're a lot smaller, a lot more meaningless, a lot more powerless than we really think that they are. If you're a Christian, have you had that moment of enlightenment where you see the powers for what they are? Whether you're a Christian or not, have you seen it? If you're a Christian, let me ask a different question, though. Have you had that moment of enlightenment where you really begin to see Jesus for who Jesus is? This is what Paul says in verse 21. Jesus is the king who is far above all rule and authority. 
power and dominion, and every name that is evoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet. I hope you catch what Paul's saying here. He's saying, Jesus is really the one with the strength. He's really the one with the power. He's the one who's over everything. Do we see that Jesus? Or does our Jesus seem small, tiny, compared to the, to the strengths and the powers that we magnify and make a big deal of in our life today? This makes me think about a story I read in the news. It's about a puppy. I'm a dog guy. I have a, I have a beast. I call him my beast. He's just a dog, though. Um, I love him. Uh, do we have the puppy? Uh, you can't really see him, but he's cute. He's a cute little guy. Um, and this sweet little puppy, he mistook two of his toys for food. Let's go to the next one. There's a, that's his stomach, x-ray. And as a result, he couldn't eat food. And he would have died of malnourishment if the vet hadn't gone in and removed the toys. You see them down there. He's safe. Um, if, the, if the vet hadn't removed the toys. And we can hear this story and say like, oh, that's kind of cute, little puppy eating the toys, thinking it's food. But can we just be honest and realize we're kind of like that little puppy too? That we mistake the things in the world, our toys, for the real food, for the real good, for Jesus. And when we look to our toys to be the things that give us strength, And power, tell us that life's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. When we look to those things for power, they kill us. Because they don't actually have the power to do it. Jesus is the only true power who can authentically nourish our hearts. Who can make us whole. Who can satisfy us and give us a life worth living. This semester at Veritas, we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians. And here's why. It's a book that is tied up with precisely these questions. What is going to define your identity? Who's going to define our collective identity? Who has the power and the strength to define and shape who we are, what we value, how we think, how we live? Let me give you a little bit of background on this particular book. Ephesians was written in 62 AD by the Apostle Paul. Paul was a Jewish man. This is an old mosaic of him. And when he was a younger man, he loved the wrong power in his life. You see, he doggedly sought to kill as many Christians as he possibly could. And killing Christians was the thing that gave him power. It's what people liked him for. It's what people defined him as. It's the thing that made his life worth living. So Paul, he's spending his days trying to kill as many Christians as he can, getting his glory from that. And the leaders, the big religious leaders of the time, they give him a letter and say, hey, you go to Damascus and you kill as many Christians as you can. And so he's walking to Damascus, but a funny thing happened on the way to Damascus. As he's on his way there, Jesus appeared to him. And the Bible says he literally fell back. This is a Rembrandt of Paul falling backwards. He saw Jesus. He's walking down the road and out of nowhere, Jesus just appears. With his own two eyes, he sees the resurrected King of glory. And in that moment, he experienced a moment of enlightenment, a moment of clarity, realizing that the powers that he once looked to, to give his life meaning and purpose, that these were nothing compared to this Jesus that he was looking at with his own two eyes. So as a result, Paul spends the rest of his life sharing about the king that he saw. Jesus became the one that he looked to in order to define him, in order to make his life good, in order to satisfy him. Indeed, he found, he found Jesus so satisfying that he endured imprisonments, stonings where people would literally throw rocks at him. They thought he was dead from throwing rocks at him. He, he endured beatings, and he did all of it 
because he found Jesus so satisfying. It's during one of these imprisonments. Paul's in Rome, he's in prison, he's got shackles around his ankles. He writes a sermon while he's in shackles about the unbreakable power and beauty and glory that he saw with his own two eyes in Jesus. You see, I have to think, Paul saw the irony in writing about Jesus' power while he's literally in prison. He's got shackles around his ankles. But I think he also saw that if you look to Jesus to satisfy you, he satisfies you so deeply that you can endure anything. So Paul, he writes this sermon, and because he can't leave, he's in prison. He gives it to a man named Tychicus. It's a fun name, Tychicus. And the Tychicus takes it, and he goes to Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. That's a map of it right there. And he goes on a circuit to all of the churches in these cities. And he gives Paul's sermon to all of these churches. That, that sermon, it ends up in a city called Ephesus, which is where it gets its name today. It's our book of the Ephesians. And Paul, in this sermon, he tells us precisely what he's trying to do through it, what his goal is for the lives of those who hear this sermon, which we are going to hear over this semester of Veritas. He says it in verses 15 to 19. These are his purpose. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So now he's about to tell us what he's praying for. This is his real hope for his sermon. What does he want to have happen to all the churches in Asia Minor? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. So he says, I want you to know something. I want you to know something deeply. He goes on, he says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. He's saying, I don't just want you to know something, I want you to see something. I want you to see it with your heart. I want you to feel it. I want you to experience it. So what does he want them to see and feel and experience? That you might know the hope to which Jesus has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And catch this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? See, it turns out the the Christians who were living in Asia Minor at all these churches, they were tempted to minimize Jesus and magnify all of the other powers that were at work in their time. See, they lived in a time where Rome and the Roman emperor ruled and reigned supreme. He could tax, he could enlist, he could demand anything from you. He could destroy you and dominate. Jesus doesn't seem very powerful in that world. They lived in a pluralistic world where they saw literally in their temples and in people's houses idols of gods and these gods promised that they had the power to give them the good life, to satisfy them, to make life worth living. They said, we can give you power in politics or commerce or agriculture or family life. Just worship me and I'll give you the power. Jesus could seem pretty small in a world like that. See, not a lot's changed in our human nature from then to now. Back then, Jesus, uh, Christians were tempted to minimize the strength of Jesus. And they were tempted to magnify the strength of the world around them. So Paul decides he needs to write this sermon because he wants them to see the reality that he saw with his own two eyes on that road to Damascus. The King Jesus, glorious, resurrected, the one who has power above all else. What Paul's trying to do makes me think of an app that I just heard about. It's called Be My Eyes. It's an app for blind people. 
It's a really cool idea. So let's say you're blind and you're trying to see if this milk carton you're holding, is it expired? Can't tell from the smell. What do you do? Or let's say you've got a menu and you're not with a friend. You can't read it. How do you know what to order? Or you're at a new bus stop. You don't know when the bus comes. What do you do? Well, Be My Eyes allows a blind person to use their smart camera phone to connect with a sighted person who then describes through headphones what they're seeing. So they can say, oh, yeah, that that milk is expired. Or, oh, yeah, there's this on the menu. Or here's when the bus comes. It's a really cool idea. They can be someone's eyes. And I think that's exactly what Paul wants to do for us in his uh, letter to the Ephesians. He wants to be our eyes. He wants to help us see Jesus for all that he is. He says that he wants the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. See, I can just be honest about myself. I'm a guy who looks to grades to find my strength and worth and power when I feel down. I need someone to be my eyes. I need someone to help me see the true strength of Jesus to satisfy my heart. I need someone to show me the hope of Jesus' calling. You see, the powers in this world, the things that we look to, they're full of false hopes. They promise us success, friends, status, pleasure, a good family. Whatever it is, they promise it all. And yet, just like Jim Carrey said, it's never enough, is it? And in the end, we always find ourselves anxious about losing the thing that we want the most, and we live in constant anxiety as a result. But Jesus calls us to be a part of his family. He adopts us. That's the hope that he's called us to, that we're not alone anymore. We don't have to do it on our own anymore. God's with us. God will protect us. God will satisfy us. God will send his spirit to be our, his presence with us when we are hurting, when we're suffering. He'll be our anchor in our roughest days. I need someone to show me that. I need someone to show me the riches of Jesus' glorious inheritance. Yet again, the powers of this world, they'll promise us riches, literally, wealth, comfort, a perfect body. Don't you ever notice they always come up short on true, deep, and lasting satisfaction? As sons and daughters of God, Jesus promises us an eternal, abundant, never-ending inheritance of joy and satisfaction with him in heaven. He says that we'll be resurrected with him on a renewed earth. And he says, you know what? You don't just have to wait for the day that you get the inheritance. You can start experiencing it now because I've filled you with your spirit and he can give you joy. He can give you faith. I need someone to show me that the incomparably great power that God is working in my life and in your life. Verse 19 continues, that power that's at work in us is the same as the mighty strength God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. I hope you catch what Paul's saying here. He's saying the power that raised a man from the dead. Have you ever seen that happen? A power that raised the man from the dead and then set him above everything in the universe. That power is at work in us. See, Paul's saying, I saw this power with my own two eyes. This isn't about religion. It's about historical reality. He saw it. And he wants us to know and experience the very power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him above everything. It's available to us. And yet, we look to our toys to give us power, to satisfy us, to make life whole. Remember, this isn't religion. This is 
reality. The king of the universe, he's offering his strength, his satisfaction, his love, his care, his presence to us. And yet we minimize it and we make it small and so we never ask and we look to our toys instead. The author Sky Jathani, he tells a story from his childhood about his father. He and his father were uh, walking together on a street in a, in a city in India. And they passed a, a young disabled boy who was begging for money. And the boy cried out to him, one rupee, one rupee, just give me one rupee. And it was a pretty big ask at that time. And Skyjathani, his father, looked down at the child and he, he laughed. He said, one rupee? How about five rupees? But the child, seeing him laugh, he got confused. He thought he was being mocked, like, one rupee? How about five rupees? Yeah, right. And so the child, as quickly as he could, just gets up and starts running because he's afraid. And Sky Jathani, his dad, realizes what's happening, so he chases down the kid. He stops him, gets his arms around him, and says, no, 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 no. I wasn't making fun of you. I'm thankful for you. You only wanted one rupee, but I, I really do want to give you five. And he pulls out his coin purse, and he puts five rupees in the child's hand. In so many ways, we're like that child, right? We minimize Jesus' power. We think he's only got one rupee to give. And so that's why we settle for our toys. But Jesus is the king of the universe. He's far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is evoked. There's no political authority on this world that is more powerful than Jesus. There's no boss or manager in your life who is more powerful than Jesus. There's no Twitter user, no Instagram, whatever, that's more influential in this world than Jesus. You have no friends who are more well-connected than Jesus. He's the only one with the true strength and the true power to define us, the power to satisfy us, the power to make our lives whole. And Paul says in verses 18 and 22 that his power is for us who believe. God placed all things under his feet. For the church, that's us. He wants to give his power. He's so loving, he's so gracious, he wants to offer it up to us. We settle for cheap knockoffs, we magnify their tiny strength when Jesus is right there. I want to end tonight by asking ourselves a question. What's your hope for spring 2016? Is it to keep chasing after the same toys that you've always chased after? Or is it to see and know and feel and experience the power of Jesus? I don't know what the semester is going to be. I know I'm not going to do it perfectly. I know I'll look at my grades again. I, I know I'll make mistakes. And yet, deep down, I'm asking God, can you please help me to see and experience and feel your power so that I stop doing that, so that I look to you and enjoy you more? What would it be like if everybody in this room said, you know what, this semester, I have one goal. I want to see his power. I want to feel it in my life. I want him to satisfy me. As the music team comes back up, let's just ask, what would that look like? What would it practically look like in our lives? Well, maybe it means making Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, our prayer every morning. Maybe we wake up every morning and we just say, God, help me to see Jesus' power more. Or maybe it means waking up 30 minutes early to actually read Jesus' word, to let it be our eyes, to help it, to let it help us see him for all that he is rather than constantly questioning him. Or maybe what it means is giving up a part of your life that you've been holding back from Jesus. <laughs> maybe it means saying, I'm tired of taking my toys more seriously than I take Jesus. 
Maybe it means giving him a decision in your life that you've been holding back. Maybe it means trusting him to guide you in a friendship, to teach you how to love and care for someone, or guide your choices in a relationship that you're in that he needs to be in charge of. Maybe it means being open with him about a sin that you've been hiding. Or maybe you're here tonight and you feel so overwhelmed by your sins and your dirtiness, and you think, I can't experience Jesus' power. Nothing could be farther from true. He is the only one with the power to cleanse you. And I tell you what, he wants to clean you. He has grace for you. He has love for you. And he wants to be the one who satisfies you. He says, look to me to satisfy you rather than looking to that video that you want to download to satisfy you. Look to me to satisfy you on Thursday and Friday night rather than feel like you have to go out to the bar to satisfy you. Look to me to be the one who satisfies you, not feeling like you have to talk trash on that person to fit in. What's your hope for spring semester of 2016? I'm convinced that if you're here tonight, God has you here for a reason. He wants to enlighten your heart so that this semester you would see and know and experience and feel the power of Jesus. He wants to do that. Your king has brought you here for that reason. He wants to change you. He wants to lead you. He wants to be with you. He wants to guide you. He wants to love you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to be the first person to confess that I look to things outside of you to satisfy me. I look to grades. I look to my friendships. I look to success. I look to so many things to be my power, my strength, the thing that makes my life whole. And Jesus, I just want to confess, I, I do that. I pray you'd help all of us to confess in our hearts the ways that we do that. And Jesus, I pray that you would help each and every one of us this semester to be enlightened so that we can see and feel the amazing power of King Jesus. You're the only one who can do it, and we're thankful because you are so eager to do it. Heavenly Father, it's your name that we pray.